Hello and welcome or welcome back. Matthew Grant, CEO of Instec here. Well, in a moment, I'm going to hand you over to our chairman, Robin Mertens, who is going to be talking to Jacques Bosch and Piero Voster, the founders of Inversion. But before that, I just want to say a big thank you to a couple of our regular listeners who I bumped into this week in London. Daniel Pink from Insurer Axer XL. Daniel is a confessed Instec addict listening every Sunday morning. Uh, and Jeremy Kleiser-Jones from reinsurance company Soldry, who's also one of our growing audience from Asia, more specifically, in Jeremy's case, listening in from Japan. Uh, now, look, we love doing these interviews, but it really makes my day every time someone tells me they are a regular listener, particularly when someone's listened more than once. So please do keep telling us what you're doing and how you're finding us. And also, if you've got any hints for anything you'd like to see or improve, that's also welcome. Now, as I'm sure you know, we have a special place in our Instec hearts for founders, and the founder's journey is never easy. But the success of Inversion is even more significant, given the additional challenges the founder of Inversion had to overcome. Now, if you like what you're hearing, or you want to know how we can help you join the collaboration of the curious, then please do contact Robin or I via LinkedIn, or indeed any of us, on hello at instec.co. So welcome everybody to this week's Instec podcast. With me today, I've got the two founders of Inversion, Jacques Bosch and Piero Vorster. Welcome both. Thank you, Robin. It's uh, really great to be here. We've got lots to talk about. I want to know about your company, Inversion, and I want to know about you both as individuals and the, the story you have to tell. Let's start by telling everybody a bit about what Inversion is. You're a technology design and build consultancy. Your specialization is insurance, reinsurance, and the hedge fund industry. And in just five years, you've built a very successful niche business which, with an enviable client list, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But you're not any old founders, because, Jack, one of the reasons I'm very keen to talk to you is that you are visually impaired. Amongst many of the issues we'll talk about in the next half hour, I'm very keen to understand more about how you can run a successful company when you can't see very much, and how you've so successfully overcome it. So look, there's much to get through. Let's go right back to the beginning. What was the story behind the founding of Inversion, Jack? The two of us have been working together for many years in various different companies. Some startups that we were involved in, in the insurance space. And then at a point, it just became sensible to us to, to launch something of our own. And we had the opportunity with one of our clients to really kickstart Inversion over five years ago. And yeah, so we took it and we have grown the team since then. And it's been a blast. I, I, no regrets. It's really been an amazing journey and we're really enjoying it. So you clearly knew each other already from previous work and how, and you decided you were good, compatible founders. What was it about Jack that you decided was a, made him someone you go into business with? We started working together from 2008, which is quite early in my career. We started at a consulting engineering firm here in South Africa. It's one of the largest ones in Africa at that point. And then we moved companies to companies together, focused on after a while, we appreciated one another's work ethics, required hard workers. We both are fans of excellence, doing things really well. And we worked well together and we decided to start Inversion. I guess the rest is history. Jack, how did you pick up your insurance knowledge? 
It was largely due to two startups. Both of them were insurance-related, heavily integrated with many South African insurance companies. For example, at the second startup where we managed the emergency services, all those services are linked to the vehicle short-term insurance uh, industry in South Africa. So if you take a car insurance, you get some benefits with it, like you get one or two free tow assists a, a year or roadside assistance and so on. Later, it branched out into home assist as well. We, for example, integrated with, I think it was about 50 insurance companies. We had over 4 million short-term insurance policies on file that we that the call centers could search within milliseconds on any attribute of that policy. So that part really gave us a great uh, introduction into the whole insurance uh, landscape. And before that, salvage management, which was once cars have been written off and there were claims against them, then the insurance companies want to try and recover as much of the cost as possible. So there we had damage detection and the real-time auctioning. It was a very interesting blend of online auctioning plus on the floor. So there, there were locations that have people like a couple of hundred people on the floor and a couple of hundred people online. And these two groups would bid against each other in real time. So that was a really great system to build. But yeah, that's where we got our insurance knowledge. Jacques, let's turn to your personal story, which I mentioned at the start. We're all on video as we speak. And I can see that you're visually impaired. Tell us the story. Have you always been visually impaired? When did it happen? Was it sudden? Tell us a little bit about that. It's a congenital condition called uh, Stargardt's disease. It's degenerative. My parents recognized it when I was about six, thought something was off. They took me to some specialists and was confirmed. Vision isn't really measured in percentages, but the, the measuring systems they use don't mean much to the general population. So I'll convert it. It, it was about 15% vision I had at that time. Uh, over the years, it's deteriorated, especially over the last six, seven years to roughly about 3 to 5% vision that I have at the moment. So I actually started six years ago to start, use a white cane, which I never needed before because even though I couldn't read a normal text and I couldn't drive, I could still move around. And what this does is it, is it creates a blind spot in the center of my vision. So I can see nothing in the middle and I have peripheral vision. Uh, but now that blind spot's so big that I walk into things, walk into people. So the cane helps to, to both not let me trip or walk into someone, as well as just communicates to the general people in the area that this person is blind. If they do bump into you, they know why. My wife was really worried that someone's going to hit me one day because I bump into them and they're like, What's wrong with this guy? I really like reading your output. You write really good content. So how do you type? I'm sort of intrigued given you're working in a design technology consultancy. Did you ever code? How easy was all that? Yeah, I've been coding since, I think, 1997. It's probably one of my favorite pastimes. I've had to grow out of it in, in as the company and inversion has matured. I can't spend all day coding anymore because I have to work on the business and do business development. But it's a very nice place of comfort to go back to the code. I really love it. And I use software um, that both magnifies the screen up to 32 times and that has a speech, which is a screen reader that reads. So the combination of the really big magnification and the screen reader enables me to do all the coding that I need to do. Obviously, I'm not that great with user interface design, those things, but getting things functional, no problem. And yeah, 
been an interesting journey. If I, if I didn't have that software, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. And presumably generative AI is going to play a role in all that too, isn't it? We're getting to the stage now where I'm not going to say this quite like this, but you don't have to cut great code. But if you tell generative AI to fix it for you, it's going to sort it all out, isn't it? Yes, we're not there yet. For example, these tools are, are really great tools at the moment. But if you don't understand what they're doing, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. But it's trending towards more and more people being able to code. They don't actually know how to code because they just iterate with the tool. If it's used properly, definitely uh, give great productivity gains. Piero, how's it changed things for you? Obviously, Shark was visually impaired when you decided to go into business. Does it make change your life in, in any way? Do you, do you have to keep, do you look after him? I must say, like, when I first met Jacques, I didn't realize he was blind. At that point, he didn't have a walking stick with him. And he was just, I at some point just realized that he's sitting extremely close to his screen. And that's a bit weird. And that's how I found out that he was visually impaired. And I, I guess, like, you, like, day to day, it's really not apparent that Jacques is visually impaired. You would realize it when you, for example, send him a screenshot of something and then he would remind you that he can't see. It's difficult to read images while blind and things like that. But as in day-to-day, especially with remote working and things like that, it's just not It's just not a, a thing. Like when we have dinner every now and then, you would tell him not to bump into things like he says. But besides that, it's a non-issue. I've been on your website. You've got testimonials from the likes of Nafila, Locked and Re, Hudson, Structured Capital. It's quite difficult to get the insurance industry to provide testimonials. They clearly like what they see. I'll give you a chance to unremittingly blow your own trumpet. What is it that they see? Why, what is it they, why do they come to you, do you think? Yeah, I guess we started out with one of these guys. And like I said, we have a very big focus on doing things well and focusing on excellence. And I think that impressed the clients we already had and through word of mouth, our reputation spread and some of the other reinsurance companies contacted us and asked us if we'd want to help them also build software. And they were also happy with the stuff we were doing. And I think that is, that's something that's really important to us to keep the reputation of uh, inversion uh, focused on creating great software and uh, you don't want to just solve problems for solving problems sake, but solve it well and with innovative solutions and excel beyond what your clients are expecting from you. Working with them and their teams, sitting with them, iterating with them and trying to produce value in their, uh, in their respective companies. One of the features of those companies that, that you work for is, is that they do pretty sophisticated stuff and I suspect they need pretty sophisticated solutions. Is that reflected in your technology, your approach to technology? Are there specialities that you have that mean you can bring things to bear that perhaps others can't? Yeah, I, I think so. We have a very skilled software architecture background. We have a history of developing robust, scalable systems that has, have to work in high-pressure situations like emergency call centers where failure may, may cost lives. Now, in the reinsurance industry, maybe Nobody dies, but you might lose a lot of money. So those things are still quite important. And they're working with high volumes of, of data. Slightly different problem, but these kinds of skills are still applicable. And then obviously being relationship-driven, 
making sure that we form close partnerships with our clients and work you know, well together with them to f- uh, form these solutions. And then, obviously, the thing we already mentioned is this holistic view of the insurance and reinsurance industry. We have a very great understanding of the entire process of the insurance industry. And I think that knowledge in combination with our software skills brings great value to our clients in these industries. I want to add that we have a real appetite for learning. For us, it's very stimulating to to get into a new environment, to be presented with uh, a domain that maybe we don't fully understand and really to dig into it. And from the business side, understand what are the objectives and then how do you map the technology to that? So we don't like coming in, just receiving specifications at the technical level and, and just building software without understanding what's the business drivers behind it. And because we're running our own business and we've had this experience through multiple startups, I think that gives a valuable aspect that maybe is not as common as one would hope. Everyone would have worked out by now that you two are South African, based in South Africa, but you don't care where people are, do you? If you find the right people, you'll pick them up from anywhere. So you've got people in the Netherlands, Canada, Thailand. Tell me a little bit about how you find these people and how you run a business that then has expertise scattered around the world. Sure. How we find people is twofold. Obviously, the first and best way is always from prior experience of people. We've collected people over the years that we worked with in in previous environments and that we really like and appreciate and they appreciate us and so we pulled them in and then at some point you run out of those people because you don't know everyone and we recruit online via various platforms we have a very robust and rigorous interview process that apparently goes beyond what the industry does usually. It consists out of four phases. We actually pay the interviewee for a completion of a small project. It's not really a market-related rate, but it's a token to show that we don't expect them to donate a whole bunch of their time to the process without it costing us anything. And I think that establishes the kind of bar that we want. So when people do pass that bar, they already see you know, what they're in for and what's expected of the team and the excellence that we are striving for. And at the same time, we obviously check for compatibility in terms of soft skills and relationships because we love working together with a team. We don't want to work with people that are not fun to work with. I think you're very quick into remote working. You found a, a way of doing what's fundamentally remote working and made that work for you all? Yeah. So we so before it was fashionable or forced by COVID, we were already fully remote before that. So it was a non-event for us in the terms of starting to work from home. We do try and get together. Unfortunately, we don't manage to get everybody across the world uh, together But at the same time. But we do have quite a large percentage of our people in South Africa, and we try to get together once a year. And then for the more local where there are little clusters of people in certain cities or areas, they get together once every month or two for a dinner. Now, back to the tech. Every good business is partly tech and partly people these days. You use a certain amount of blockchain, or should I be saying distributed ledger technology, in your solutions these days. Why? And, and are you prepared to be in what I think is a minority these days that goes into bat on behalf of DLT? Why are we willing to live with a stigma? <laughs> yes, it's almost um, like that, yeah. I think all technologies, new revolutionary technologies, go through a hype cycle. Even we see the same thing with the AI, which I assume we'll touch on a bit later. So it goes really high up, 
goes parabolic, then reality sets in, crashes back down. Crypto has gone through this cycle a number of times over the last uh, 10, 15 years. And crypto meaning all these blockchain technologies and approaches of distributed ledger. We don't buy into the hype because we've been involved with it for good 10 years, first at the investment level and then in the technical level. But as a technology, for the kinds of problems it can solve or be a part of the solution, I think it is fundamental and it's, it is revolutionary. And I'm convinced that over the next 10, 20, 30 years, it's going to form a, a very great foundation of the world's financial systems, not exclusively, but it's going to be a part of what can be built in the future. And if you apply the tech in the right way, we think there's great future for it. What we don't do is we try and shove a, a blockchain solution into every problem that doesn't actually need it. I reckon in the next few years, we'll stop having this conversation. In other words, it won't have its stigma anymore. And you won't have to defend it because it will have gradually seeped its way into normal architecture and normal thinking. The end goal is people shouldn't even know a blockchain is involved when they're doing financial activities in their daily lives. Let's stay on the hype cycle and talk about generative AI. I can't have a podcast these days without mentioning it. I normally ask people this in a sort of provocative way, which is, are you actually using it? And are you using it in a meaningful, interesting way? Are you just writing learned articles about how marvelous it's going to be and actually not doing anything about it at all? I think that is the, the trick, is to find the real applications of generative AI and AI in general. We can all spin up ChatGPT these days and see how great it can do things. But how do you actually use those kinds of technologies and improve businesses and deliver value to them where they're actually benefiting from it? In short, the answer is yes. For example, we're using generative AI in the medical field currently, where doctors and surgeons and medical professionals are often obligated to take notes. And the of, uh, often the most efficient way of doing that is via uh, speech. So we use things like Whisper, which is an open-air technology to do the translation from uh, speech text, and then also use uh, ChatGPT and other large language models to then improve the notes they're taking to find mistakes, inconsistencies, or even expand on the analysis. But there's also ways that we're currently consulting with clients to see where we can implement large language models and other artificial intelligence in their business. For example, call centers where you can automatically allocate tickets, automatically answer emails, and only escalate the ones that can't be found in the general or frequently asked questions. Just back to the example of the product we're building for the medical industry, let me make that a little bit more concrete. A radiologist would be looking at their at the screens of the scans of the MRI or the X-rays, and typically what they would do, they would type the report, or they would dictate it and get a typist to type the report. And obviously, there's a lot of possibility for mistakes to be introduced there, and it's removed, it's not immediate. So what this does this product, it changes that to a real-time experience where they just speak and the, and the 
the, the quality is really quite amazing. They dictate the report. It shows up as text right in front of them. They can immediately review it. It's, it saves probably at least 60 to 70% of the time compared to typing it. And then what we do is, for example, uh, I don't know how much you know about radiology, but there's several sections in a report. And one of the sections would be the findings that they see. And then at the end, they have the conclusion. And very often, there are mistakes that slip in. For example, some measurement might have been in millimeters in the findings, but then in the in the conclusion, they by, by, by mistake type centimeters. And then we use the LLMs to detect those logical inconsistencies, give them a list of potential mistakes that we found, and then they can select yes and apply that one as a fix. And we do that automatically. So it really is aimed to, to completely reduce the amount of time it takes for doctors to to take the clinical notes or reports and to really increase the quality because it's all right there. They don't have to go back and review it after the typist has typed it and so on. It's going to be an immense productivity gain across so many industries. And, and I think that's the area to focus for now. How do you save your expensive, top quality people time by the use of these kind of things? Well, I was wondering, because I know that having spoken to you before, that you're a black belt in mixed martial arts. I wondered whether or not you'd learned that of Jacques' security unit or something. I got my black belt, I think, three years ago in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's been a 15-year journey. And no, I, luckily Jacques doesn't upset people that much, so I don't have to defend him that much. But yeah, it's, I think it's just a great stress relief and something because you have to shut off your mind from anything else while you're doing it. So yeah, that's why I enjoyed it a lot. I think that principle we spoke about earlier about excellence is just apparent in everything Piro does, including reaching black belt and anything else he puts his mind to. I just wish my chest was that great, but that's, I still struggle getting that up to excellence. Well, while you've got your current physical levels of prowess, I'd stay with the martial arts. Chess can come later, I reckon. Look, you two are a blast. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Well done for everything you've done with Inversion. It's clearly a terrific business that has got a terrific client list and you clearly know what it is you're doing. Jacques, you're an absolute inspiration for your lack of self-pity and your ability to just get on and do uh, wonderful things. So it's been a pleasure to talk to you both. Thanks very much indeed for joining me. Thanks, Robin. It's been great. Thanks, Robin. Well, we're delighted to have the support of Jacques and Piro and Inversion. And if you are wondering why you are struggling to get your voice heard or not able to meet your business partners, whether you are in insurance or you're a technology company, uh, maybe you're just suffering some FOMO from not being invited along to review our research, join our events or be on the podcast, whatever it is, then you probably need to join us as a member. Hello at instec.co. You can get hold of us, tell you more about what's going on, or take a look at our website, www.instec.co, to learn more. Okay, that's it. We're done.